Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. Thank you that we don't have to make this up. We don't have to conjure something to happen. But Father, we praise you in your resurrection power this morning. We thank you for what you have done. Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will remind us every day that there is victory over the grave, that sin and death have been conquered, that this is a victory that we live in and is a reality for us every single day. In Jesus' name, in the resurrected name of Jesus, we say amen. Amen. Can we just give God more praise? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Zion this morning. My name is Justin. It is so good to see you today. Why don't you turn to somebody and say hello? I'm excited. I love days like this because I'm not the only one excited in the room, but we get to be excited together just for what God has done. And, and Easter is just the, the most powerful celebration that we can have. Uh, we've been in Deuteronomy and we've talked a little bit about this, about how God constantly calls his people to remember significant moments in what he's done for us. And that's why we have celebrations like Christmas and Easter and Good Friday because we are recognizing and remembering because it, we, it, we're human. It is easy to forget. How many have done something for somebody and then they forgot about it the next week and acting like you ain't ever done anything for them? Come on now. We've all been there. Now, we do that to God all the time. And so that's why we have days every year that just remind us, God, what have you done? What am I to be thankful for? Because how many times we wake up and we're just depressed, we're angry, we're sad, we hate the world, and we forget. Come on, we forget that God has victory over sin and death. And that is ever-present in our life right now. I'm preaching this morning. Come on, I grew up Pentecostal, so don't get me started. <laughs> Today we are talking, uh, we're going to continue from last week, uh, Palm Sunday, and we're going to talk about this theme called marked, and how we are marked by God. And last week we talked about how we have a different kind of king, and a, a king that doesn't come at, as a pompous riding on a kind of an army behind him on a horse with armor and a sword. That is not how he came, but he came as a servant of all. And how that spills into our life. When we think of Jesus, when we think about his resurrection, and we think about what his resurrection has done in our life, we have to think about how it has made us like him. And so usually on Easter, we, we talk about the resurrection story, but today I want to talk about the resurrection story's lasting impact on our life. Specifically, I want to ask the question, how has the resurrection marked us? See, the, the problem with today's Christianity and the problem with today's church is when we think of Christians, we think of the wrong marks. When we think of what 
what makes a good Christian, we, we automatically start thinking about the wrong thing because we have been influenced by our culture. To say that this is what success is, and we look at success just like in the business world, we look at it the same way in the church world. And we say if you have a good light show, if you have a lot of people, if you have a huge organization, then you are marked by God. And we look at these things, we, we look at what culture has told us that, that says this is success, this means you have done it well. But really, what marks us in Scripture? We have been looking at the wrong examples to follow. We have been looking at the stadiums. We have been looking at the biggest names. We have been looking at who has the best light show. We have been looking at all these. That We have been looking at who have you voted for. And we say, well, that marks a Christian. But what's insane is that in Scripture, none of these things mark Christianity. Not one. The resurrection did not happen so that we can have great production and vote in a certain caucus every year. That's not why Jesus came. The resurrection did not happen so that we can talk about how much we pray and so that we can play our favorite playlist on Sunday or on our way to work. The resurrection did not happen so that I can act more Christian than you. So that I can put on my nicer front than everybody else. That is not why the resurrection happened. It's not how intelligent your prayers are. It's not how big or cool you are. There are very specific things that mark a Christian in Scripture. And this is what the resurrection does in our life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's four things specifically I want to talk about how the resurrection has marked our lives. That is service, generosity, love, and hope. And each one of these in Scripture you find over and over and over again that in the church... We don't talk about these. We, we talk about them once in a while, but we'd rather talk about what is normal things that everybody sees, about how high I can jump, how loud I can pray, brag about how much I've read but really, in Scripture, we see action is the thing that the apostles say. This speaks to us being marked by God. This speaks to us being marked by his resurrection, by what he has done in our life. The first thing, James, he says this. This is Jesus' brother in James 1.27, being marked by service. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says, you want real religion? You, you want to know what it means to truly follow after Christ? It's not the glamour. It's not the crowds. It's not these things that we think of to be powerful and to be great. James says this. He says, true religion is to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction. 
Now in this society that James is talking to, if you are a widow or an orphan, if you did not have, if, if you are a woman that was not married, there was no way for you to provide for yourself. In that society, they were not allowed to be the source of income for the home. If you were an orphan, you didn't have parents, you had no inheritance, you had nobody, again, to provide for you as a child. And so these widows and orphans became the people that were the most poor and in the most need. And so James says, truly, what religion is, if you want to go and do something, if you want to live out your Christianity, if you want to not just talk about it, but do something that really proves what God has done in your life. He says, go be with the afflicted. Go be with the ones that don't have. Go be with the ones that are lowly. Go be with the ones that can offer you nothing in return. That are low in status in society. And that marks you as a Christian. The second thing that marks us that I want to talk about is generosity. Now, before you act like I'm going to start asking for seed money or something like that, I'm not. Don't worry. In 1 John 3, 16 to 18, he says this, and we read this verse, the verse 16 last week, but we're going to read a little bit more. And I, I did this purposefully so we can see how this plays out in our life. In 1 John 3, 16, it starts, John says this, By this we know love. That he or Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so he says, all right, this is love. you got to lay down your life for one another. But then he continues and he says this. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, John says, you, you want to know how to follow after Jesus? You want to know what that looks like in your life? You, you want to know what that means? He says, giving to the person in need, your brother or sister. Giving to the one next to you. That, that means that you have been marked by the love of God. Can you believe that? That when, when we read this verse, it says, if... You, you are to lay down your life for one another. If you want practical understanding of what it means to lay down your life for one another, it means that you see somebody that's struggling. Maybe they got laid off or maybe they're just going through financial hardship right now. You look at them and you don't just say, I'm going to pray for you. Because when we pray for somebody, we stretch forth our hands so that we stay at a distance from their problems. We keep our wallets five feet away from them while we're praying. And the farther we can pray and stretch forth our hands, the better it is for me. Because the farther away my bank account is from that issue. Thank you, Ariel, for that clap. <laughs> Next time I need something, brother, I'm calling you. John says, if, if you want to really see the resurrection power in your life, if you really want to be like Jesus and lay down your life, guess what? When you see somebody in need, open up your wallet and give them something. And if you walk away from that person, don't you dare say that you have God's love in your heart. 
probably asking yourself right now, where's my Easter message? <laughs> See, there's this guy, he has a TED Talk, Adam Grant. It's an amazing TED Talk. He says there's three types of people. He did research uh, in corporate America. He said there's three types of people that he finds in the workplace. He said there are givers, there are takers, and there are matchers. All right, three types of people. There are givers, takers, and matchers. He says givers are people who give more than they get, and they're happy about it. These are people that can, they can give, they can serve others, and they're fine. Takers, these are the people that, that is really idolized in, in our culture. These are the people that it doesn't matter how many heads that they have to step on to get to the top. Trust me, you're getting a boot hit right to the forehead when they're trying to climb over you. These are people that when the team does something that is really successful, they say, yes, I did a great job. Thank you very much. I'll take that promotion. When the team fails at it, they look at other people and they blame, well, that person was just really, you know, dead weight on the team. That's a taker. Now, a matcher is somebody that keeps it at even odds at all time. I'm a, I'm a huge Office fan, and this show has a perfect scene where Dwight decides one day he's going to come in and he wants a favor from everybody. And so how he's going to get a favor from everybody is he brings in breakfast for the whole crew because he says, if I bring you breakfast, you're going you're gonna to owe me something. Dwight and Jim, they hate each other. They're always at a rivalry. He wants to get Jim fired. So he, he was going to get everybody to sign a petition for him to get Jim fired. But little did Dwight know that Andy was the biggest matcher of all. And so Andy gets breakfast from Dwight, and what does Andy do? He runs to the store and gets him some breakfast. And Dwight is like, okay, I need, a, I need to even the scale. So as he's getting this, he opens the door for Andy, and then Andy says, no, after you, sir. And then when Andy is going to get water, you see Dwight running to give him water. Andy takes his cup and then fills it for him and gives it to him. These are matchers that say, I can't be uneven with anybody. I need to make sure that I don't owe anybody anything. So what does Adam Grant say? He says that in, in corporate America, especially, he looks at sales and he says, the people that do the worst at sales out of these three categories, the givers, the takers, and the matchers, I want to see if you can guess rhetorically right now, the worst people that in sales in corporate America are the matchers. Nobody wants to be with a matcher. Uh, he says then, the best, the people who make the most money in sales are the givers, which is mind-blowing. Most people think that the takers are the ones that are going to make the most money, but actually it's the people that inherently serve others or begin to serve others. These are the ones that other people feel most comfortable around. These are the ones that other people begin to trust with whatever service or product they're being sold with. You ever have a hard sell? You know, someone, you know, this doesn't happen much back in the day or now, but back in the day, someone knock on your door or and they're trying to sell you something or you get a call and it's just like, come on, man. It's whatever time in the day I get a telemarketer call, it doesn't matter. I'm just like, it's 2 p.m., man, or it's 7 p.m., man, or it's 10 a.m., man. What are you doing? I just don't want your calls, but... You just know this person's after you. You don't want to do business with them. And so Adam says, really, the ones that are generous with 
who they are and what they have are the ones that get ahead in life. Because these are laws that God has put in the world. And what's amazing is that the resurrection is a model of generosity. That this is something that if you follow after the principles that Jesus has left behind, there can be life change. But the hard part is, is changing your heart so that you can get like that. See, the next thing that marks us is love. In 1 John 4.20, it says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, you see your brother, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, true salvation and resurrection power is marked by how you treat others and how you love them. You cannot get away from this. This is something that has been ever-present since God started speaking to humankind. As he's been saying, how you treat your neighbor is a reflection on how much you love me. And John lays it out real clear here. You cannot go around saying that you love God. You cannot go around saying that you are good with God. You cannot go around saying that you have faith in God. You cannot go around saying that you believe in God and then go curse your neighbor, go gossip about your friend, and then talk about killing your boss. I always love that one. Because I got everybody in the room with that one. The two are just incompatible. How we treat other people, if we treat them poorly, there is no way that the love of God truly resides in our heart. I don't care how much you pray, how much you read the Bible, how many church services you've been to. If your heart has not been changed towards other people, then the resurrection power of God has not been active in your life. And Jesus takes this even farther. He says, you've, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? He says, anybody can love the person that, that likes them, that is kind to them. Anybody can like somebody that does nice things to them. It's easy, right? We have a list of people that have done incredible stuff for us. It's easy to love that person. But what does Jesus say? He says, what marks a follower of me is the one who loves his enemy. So if you're wondering, okay, I could be nice, you know, to my boss or my neighbor or to my family. I could do that. I can love them. Think about the person that you hate. Think about your rivals. Think about your nemesis. Think about that one at your job that is just trying to get over on you, that wants you fired. Think about the person that has backstabbed you. Think about the one that has, has caused more mistrust than anybody else. And Jesus says those are the ones that you love, and that's what it's like to have my love in your heart. Because ultimately, that's a reflection of his love towards us. How many times have we turned away from him, forgotten him, walked away, hated him, gotten mad at him for something he didn't do, yet he still loves us. As an enemy, he has loved us. And so he says, John, he says, those who say that they love God who they cannot see can, but do not love their neighbor who they can see cannot love God 
So love of your neighbor, whether enemy or friend, marks somebody who has been affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the third or the fourth mark, the last one, is hope. Romans 5 verse 3 says this. We rejoice in our sufferings. That's a, that's a good one right there. It started off. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, many people, when they think about hope, when we think about hope naturally, we think about we're going to enter into a situation for the first time and we're hopeful. When we're going to a new job, we're hopeful that it's not going to stink, that we're going to actually like our boss, right? When we are entering into maybe a new church for the first time, we're hopeful. When we enter into a new situation in life, we become hopeful for that. But then life happens and hope quickly departs, right? If anybody has been hopeful for something so many times, you have realized maybe you've become callous to hope at this point. Because you've been disappointed over and over. Maybe sometimes you have been disappointed by church over and over again. And so you've become callous to church. Maybe it's been people that were supposed to love you that haven't loved you. And you've lost hope in humanity and people ever loving you. And that's why you stopped coming around so much. That's why you maybe even never came in the first place. Because you've been around people long enough to know that your hope is unfounded. And you know what's amazing about what Paul says about hope in this scripture here is this. Hope is what you have after going through the trials. Hope is not something that comes before going into it, but it's something that you receive after you go through the trials. Because when you've been through a trial and you come out on the other end, you realize that he was with me in my suffering. You realize he is with me in the victory. You realize that he is with me in my pain. You realize that he is with me in my joy. You realize that he is with me in my temptation. You realize that he is with me. And when you've been through life and you've been through hardship and you've come out on the other end and you say, and, and you realize God still loved me through this even though I was mean, even though I did this wrong, even though it didn't go the way I thought, but he is with me. That is real hope. That is hope that realizes that God's love is unconditional for me, that neither height nor depth nor the east from the west can separate me from the love of God. See, hope in a situation is not coming and saying, let me try this Christianity thing out and let me see if it makes me happy. That's not hope. Hope is walking with God and realizing that you're going to experience pain, you're going to experience suffering, you're going to experience joy, you're going to experience contentment, you're going to experience highs and lows, you're going to experience abundance and need. And through it all, the one thing that no one can rob you of is your faith in Jesus Christ. That is true hope. Hope knowing that no matter what I go through, that I have a security and a foundation that can never be rocked. That when the winds come, that when the storms come, when the lightning and the thunder and the rain is pelting on my house, that I know it is on sure foundation. 
And what I believe today that God is asking of us is he's asking us to hope in him. But don't hope in him and walk into the situation like we talked about and think, okay, I'm going to do this till it gets tough and then I'm out. Because that's not real hope. Hope is when you say my faith is in Jesus, I may lose my job. I may get $30 million, either end of that spectrum. Guess what? My foundation is not in my job. It's not in my money. It's in Jesus. Hope is knowing that even though your best friends may leave you, even though your family may leave you, even though you may have materially nothing in your life, you still have a Savior who has died on the cross for you and then conquered death, rose from the dead so that you can be seated in heavenly places in the Holy of Holies with the Almighty God. That eternal life cannot be robbed from you. That is hope. And so when we think about our church, when we think about what God is calling us to, when we think about where God is taking us, I pray, God, mark us by our service, mark us by our generosity, mark us by our love, and mark us by our hope. That we would not be a church that is marked by our playlist on Sunday. That we would not be a church that is marked by how good our sound equipment is working. That we would not be a church that is marked. Yeah, that was, that was an ironic one for today. <laughs> but can we give props to wiring in the middle of service and these guys getting it done? I don't want to be a church that is marked by the Western idea of success. I want to be a church that is marked by how deep our community is with one another. That says, brother, sister, you're in need. I'm going to be with you this week. You, 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 want, you, you have some struggle in your life, some need. How can I help? How can I be a part of your suffering with you? That says, seeing you on Sunday isn't enough. That is not relationship. That is not family. How can we hang out with one another? Where I see somebody I don't know, and maybe we've been worshiping in the same set every Sunday service, but I never met you before. A church that is marked by the resurrection says, maybe I should go meet that person because we are one body in a family. I want to be a church that goes beyond the four walls and knows to go out to the neighborhood and say, listen, we're not asking of anything from you. We're not trying to match the relationship here. We want to give to you to show how the resurrection of Jesus has deeply changed our lives. That we would be the salt and light, a city on a hill. That we would be marked by the true marks of the resurrection that when Jesus came and he looked at his disciples and they doubted he had the marks in his hands there were holes in his feet there were holes he had the marks of the suffering of the pain but yet there he was in front of them alive and well and that is hope saying if my Jesus can go to the cross can suffer a gruesome death and then rise from the dead. If he has been through that, that is hope that does not disappoint.
And so I invite you, church, into this hope, into this marking of Jesus where we learn to serve one another, where we learn to be generous towards one another, where we learn to love one another with true love, and we learn to have a hope that does not fade, that cannot be taken away, that is ever-present, and that is powerful indeed. Can we pray for that today? Can we say, Jesus, would you mark us how your scripture says that we should be marked? That we would not look to the external, to the bling, to the grandeur, to the greatness, to the western ideas of success. But we would begin to look inward in our heart and say, God, how can we be built as a community that shines light in the darkness in this city that you have set us in? That we would repent before you of the ways that we have walked away but realize that that hope is not dim because you have conquered everything that tempts me today. Can we have hope and say, even in the pain, even in the suffering, even in the good times, even in the bad times, Lord, when I come out at the other end, I know you are with me. So, Father, I give my heart, I give my life to you, that you would mark me. Can you pray that with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence amongst us today. We pray that we would be marked the way that you have called us to be marked. That we would not have empty faith and confession week after week. The Holy Spirit, we would allow you to do deep work in our heart. Whereas right now it may seem impossible to love our enemy or to give to somebody in need or to serve when I believe I'm above them. But Holy Spirit, we thank you that you change and transform and give us new lives, new minds, new hearts. Take our heart of stone